Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome back, boils and ghouls, ladies and germs, all the Talking Terror fans nationwide and worldwide. We are back once again. It's Wednesday. It's 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You know what that means. Another episode of your favorite horror podcast, Talking Terror. Welcome back. I am your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G. This is going to be the Demonic Doctor's film pick episode because he makes his triumphant return to the podcast. Uh, He had picked Apostle from 2018, directed by Gareth Evans. It's a new one. It's on Netflix. We're going to talk about it. But we've got a lot of other things that we want to talk about first. So, as always, I am joined by the bold, the beautiful, the ghoul geek, Keith. Oh, hello, everybody. What is going on tonight? Behold, he who is ghoul. Welcome. How are you, ghoul? Um, you know, I'm I'm gotten shit growing out of me in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I'm starting to feel one with the island. Oh, aren't we all? Aren't, aren't we all just bloodletting tonight and a and a sacrifice to the goddess of the island? Mm. <laughs> uh, but we are also joined by the monkey who is banging on his cage. He's throwing some pudding cups at us and saying that he wants to let his blood out. So, monkey, how the hell are you? Hey there, Fright fans. This is Talking Terror's furry little horror host, the Mad Monkey, here joining my lovely, despicable co-host of the Talking Terror crew. On for another fun-filled, fright-filled episode of Talking Terror. What's up, ladies? He's a furry little fucker. <laughs> really? Furry motherfucker, aren't you? Coming right out the gate with it. All right, so how have you boys been since last we spoke? Good, good man. We've had some cool shit happen in the nerd news and some unfortunate things that happened in the nerd news, but I guess we can wait until we have all of our hosts before we delve in. What do you guys think? Uh, yep, I don't want to do the jump, but he is with us. Demonic Doctor, fresh from his overseas tour promoting Talking Terror and all things terror. Welcome back, Doctor. We love Doc. you, Doctor. Oh, those are very sweet words. Um, good evening, you're, everyone. I thought you were on the Bob Menendez tour. Uh, I thought you were on the Neil and Bob tour. Um, the, the co-hosts of mine, I'm so happy to be with you again and to anyone listening out there in the land of talking terror, I, I wish you greetings as well. I'm very excited to be here. It has been some time since I have been with you last. Welcome back, Doc. Thank you. Glad to have you back. And it is your pick tonight, Apostle. So I'm looking forward to getting into that, uh, with all of you later on the show. Um, but before we kick off some horror news, as we always do with the doc, now he's back, and the monkey and, and the ghoul. Uh, so, ghoul, monkey, even you, doc, let's just take a moment to bow our heads to Stan the Man Lee, who passed away this week at 95. So, for all of us comic book fans out there, we all have to kind of take our hats off and say, thank you, Stan, for all the fond memories. We love you, and Godspeed, Excelsior, sir. 
What does that mean, Excelsior? Sure. Now, there's the famous Stanley uh, catchphrase. Just as uh, much I'm as not it is. I don't know what that is. I'm not even kidding. I don't know what that is. All right. Who'd like to take this? So Go ahead. Explain Go. it to me. Oh, it was just Stanley's catchphrase, man. That's all. There's no fucking heavy yeah, no. detailed story behind yeah. it, as far as I know. You know, it's just something yeah. he no, used to say. Like, uh, yeah, mm. just so like Raymond Believers. Yeah. So what you're it, saying it is work. when what you're saying is that when like the ghoul is like, they scared people. Stan Lee was like Excelsior. Excelsior. Yes. yes. Yeah, it was okay. it was a word that he it was a word that he made up to just sound, you know, too preposterously, you know, wonderful and just full of impact. And it was just a word that he made up just to sit there and just pretty much that was his word for kick ass. You know, was Excelsior. Yep. Okay. Exactly right. So thank you for um, Yeah, yeah, a, a monkey. You actually had a great idea uh, coming into the podcast tonight. I don't know if you'll be able to contribute, Doc. I hope so. Uh, but what was the thing that you wanted to ask us uh, to kind of commemorate Stanley? Well, it's just because Stanley. It's like not only did he create characters, he you know he created entire worlds here that we all grew up in when we were little kids. You know, that's where we went to escape was in the realm of comic books. And it's just me personally. I always felt like I had certain characters that I could relate to. You know that. that were I consider my character, and um, you know, I just wanted to take a minute to ask the Talking Terror cats here. It's like, you know, who was your character you grew up with? You know, or you know, who was your favorite character out of the many, many characters that Stanley helped create? You know, who who was your favorite? You know, who was the one that you grew up with? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gold, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, uh, it's pretty much a, a no-brainer for me. I think even the even the doc would know who my favorite character was. Uh, you know, I, I resonated very much with the the old canonical head himself, Wolverine. So, you know, I was a huge X Men fan, and, uh, and yeah, as I got into comic books, Wolverine was definitely the one that I felt the most rapport with. Well, what was it about Wolverine? Ah, just, you know, the wild nature. I mean, uh, again, when I'm going by early character development for him, the fact that he was just so unpredictable and, you know, you never knew what you were going to get from him. He uh, almost, you know, he never went bad, but you just never knew when he wasn't going to do good. Right. And especially the early years in, in, yeah, especially the early years in X-Men where, you know, he really could go one extreme to the other and, you know, a heartbeat and was, was always have to, you know, to watch his rage so he didn't go into berserker mm-hmm. mode and shit like that. Snicky, snicky, snoink. Berserker mode. <laughs> <laughs> Weapon X style. Uh, so, See, okay, what he's uh, doing so is monkey... he's simulating Wolverine's berserker clause. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Wolverine. Yeah, great. <laughs> and that had a great Stanley cameo too with Mallrats, but we'll get there. But yeah, so Monkey, what was yours? What was your your penultimate uh, Marvel character? Um, yeah, for me, it's like when I started reading. The earliest books I can remember reading was Silver Surfer, and then once I started to understand the concept of storyboarding and figuring out, 
you know, what stuff was later as I could get older and older to read. Um, Spider-Man was the one that really clicked with me. Just okay. because I I was a small dude that was always getting my ass kicked because of my big mouth. Um, <laughs> I, I was a nerd. I didn't fit in in any way, shape, or form with anybody. And I just really clicked with the Peter Parker character. But then, because I was always talking shit, even while I was getting my ass kicked, I could relate to Peter, I mean, Spider-Man, you know, doing the whole thing of talking shit while he's going around kicking ass. And I, you know, really like the idea of, you know, one thing, you know, he's got these powers, he's still got to repress them while he's in school. But then once he puts on the mask and he's able to just go around and kick ass and let it all out, let, let all of that shit out and just start talking shit the entire time. And, you know, and I read from, you know, pretty pretty much early 80s, you know, until today, you know, so I've watched lots of, lots of reiterations of Spider-Man, but those classic 80s books, you know, right around the time of, um, excuse me, Secret Wars and stuff like that, you know, the introduction of the black suit, you know, that, that was my time frame for reading Spider-Man as a kid. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. That's that's a great choice, if you ask me. And and Doc, I know that you're not the biggest comic book guy, but you know when you're younger, were you into them? You did you read them and say, you know what, I kind of like this character, and you know, kind of read the issues. No, I I was never really a comic book guy ever at all. Um, but that is mm-hmm. not having any meaning that I, uh, you know, was not into comic book characters. Uh, growing up. Uh, I was in, you know, as a as a small child in the early 1980s. Um, I was a humongous fan of both the 1970s uh, Amazing Spider-Man uh, television series, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, the Incredible Hulk TV series starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Um, to to the the Incredible Hulk more than the Spider-Man, but. The both of those shows had an impact on me. The Incredible Hulk was one of like my most absolute favorite shows when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, so I'll have to uh, I'll have to go along. I'll have to go along with those. Mm. No, it, it's great. Yeah, I mean I, I loved it too. Growing up watching that Incredible Hulk show with Bill Bixby and, and Lou Ferrigno. I mean you watch it now and it is kind of cheesy, but at the same time it's still a great show, especially when you're a kid. You know, and, and watching this guy transform into this gigantic, muscular dude and just could flip over cars. I mean, it was for its time. It, it was excellent. Well, Bill Bixby, um, Bill Bixby was such an interesting-looking actor and had a very interesting, yeah. like, his whole vibe was very interesting. Like, like his look, the way he walked, his voice. Um, and I feel that his portrayal of, of Dr. Banner uh, – gave some kind of gravity to the whole proceedings. Even if you go back and look a little bit about now, I feel that he's the best part of the show. Um, and, you know, the, the, the opening, the whole opening sequence, uh, like the mm-hmm. title credits where uh, they show him in the radiation machine. And then, you know, he tells the guy, don't make me angry. Like all of that stuff that's so, that, that is so burned into my being. Um, yeah. It had such a huge impact on me when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, had I'm just, that, I've been thinking about fanta- Ferrigno, dude. He's such movie. a monster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that was like an actual, obviously the fucking paint and everything, but the guy was a monstrously humongous human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and what he could do was amazing. Um, you, you know, know what was me, yours? 
I know I, I talked to Monkey last night about my pick, and, and I still kind of stand by it because I do love the Hulk. Um, but kind of sitting down and thinking about it, I changed my mind a little bit because I think at the end of the day, the one character I really do love is Eric Lencher, Magneto, from the X-Men series. And I had to think about it because really I relate to his character a lot as well, as much as I do with the Hulk. But just because Magneto, he wanted you to embrace who you were as a mutant. He didn't want you to be ashamed of being a mutant. He didn't want you to hide. He had the Brotherhood of Mutants. He wanted you to be who he wanted to be. You don't have to hide from society. Be who you want to be. Embrace who you are. And that message kind of resonated with me, too, you know, growing up. is, is you know, he might be an evil character. He might be a villain in a lot of the issues. But at the same time, he just wanted mutants to be accepted. And if they weren't going to be accepted, he was going to force people to accept them. You know, right. so that well, became the villain. He kind of wanted to exterminate the... The, the humans, you yeah. know, the, the human people to, to serve yeah. them. We're, we're the future, uh, Charles, not them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're the future. <laughs> yeah. They're the homo superiors while we are the homo, just homo sapiens. Yeah. And just the fact that he oh, had to the doctor just playing homo. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry. being a, a survivor of the Holocaust and oh, yeah. coming out of that and being able to bend metal and wearing a helmet so Xavier couldn't get to him mentally. There was just so many intricacies to that character um, that really kind of resonated with me because it was like when you're a kid, you know, for me anyway, I was an outcast. I was a misfit. So it was kind of cool to see a character that's a villain saying embrace who you are. Don't let society dictate who you should be. Just enjoy who you are and embrace it. You know, and if they don't, then fucking squash them. Cause that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, right. You know, we're the future, Charles. <laughs> yes, exactly. We are the future. You know, and it, it, but like the, the the doc had said, I mean, the, the Incredible Hulk series um, on TV, especially, is that you have a guy kind of hitchhiking from town to town to that really depressing piano theme at the end. Oh you yeah. Know, you piss him the fuck off. He's gonna just Hulk out. Mm-hmm. And I had those moments, too, when I was growing up of, you know, being beaten up and bullied and picked on. You just wanted to have that moment where you could just fucking hulk out and just beat the fuck at everybody. It's like, get the fuck away from me. You know, I'm angry, you know. So, but on, on more than one occasion, I've seen the ghoul tear off his clothes and run down the street. <laughs> I could see that happening. Definitely see that happening. But I, that, I'd know, love to say the, he's exaggerating, but you know what? No. <laughs> But to, to wrap up with um, to wrap up with Stanley, um, and I talked about this last night with the monkey, and he agrees. And it's just that Stan created these worlds where, as a kid, if you didn't have friends, if you got bullied, if you just you know you felt like you were lost and alone and like a misfit toy, you could read these issues and fall into these universes and fall into these worlds and escape for a little while from reality. And you know, I know he felt the same way about a lot of the characters he created, but you know, it's he was a legendary person that could do that and could make you forget about life for a little while and just enjoy the comics. And it kind of went into the movies too. You know, when Iron Man, yeah. Spider-Man and the Avengers movies and the X-Men movies, you know, you could go to these movies now and not be a comic book fan and still love them for what they are, which is yeah. great movies with a good message. And the big thing that Stan Lee oh. did as far as like creating comics was unlike DC, 
when he started creating his, you know, work, working with Kirby and creating the characters, he came yeah. up with the idea of, you know, as far as in comic books, the flawed hero, that, you know, that, that tragic hero that always has a flaw of some kind. You know, no, no one's perfect like, you know, Superman, early Batman, you know, that mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You know, not everything was crisp and clean in the Marvel Universe. You know, everyone well, it wasn't just a, a matter of, of them being kind. flawed. It was human flaws. That's actually what I was going to yeah. say. You know, like, I, I never felt yeah, like I was right. an outcast or, or, or the nerd or this or that. You know what I mean? I just always just did. The stories resonated with me just right. because they were great mm-hmm. stories. Um, yeah. But the characters that he created, having human-type flaws, you know, that was mm-hmm. something that was just fantastic. You know, using, yeah. you know, the Incredible Hulk as a parable for ineffectiveness. You know, looking at the Tony Stark yeah. storylines of him being a, you know, raging alcoholic to a recovering yeah. alcoholic. Yeah. Like taking humanity and putting it into these characters just because they can do super feats of, of strength or incredible things, it doesn't make them any less human. And that, I think, was the most important thing that he ever did with his with his characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, I completely fully agree. And that's what you need to have is, is flaws. You know, like you had said, you know, Tony Stark, he's a multi-billionaire playboy. He's got the mock suits, but at the same time, Slam he's got a crippling alcoholism problem. You know, or it's, you know and they, they, they show that in the comic books. And it's like, you know, it's okay – to be flawed, you could still be a hero, but still be flawed. You know, which is the biggest thing that I think he brought. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and that's what again was the huge difference between Marvel and DC is Marvel was willing to get out of the cookie cutter stuff and actually just start telling stories. You know, and and they embraced the world around them. I mean, because while DC was going around and basing all their stuff out of Metropolis, got Gotham, you know. <clears throat> And all this kind of stuff, you know. Marvel was just like, no, we're we're straight out of the fucking ghettos of New York, and that's what we're gonna, that's where we're gonna put our heroes, you know. <laughs> you know, you got yeah. Daredevil in Hell's Kitchen, you got Peter Parker in Soho, you know, you have the Fantastic Four in Upper Manhattan, you know, and they wrote this stuff because that's where they were, and and they were doing this back in the sixties and seventies when New York was fucking tough, man, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I. I remember watching an interview with um, the artist Neil Adams about while he was working on Nick Fury in the 70s and talking about, you know, everyone would take the subway and then walk to work, you know, no one drove because it was fucking New York, you know, and no one bothered to carry any cash with them or anything because they knew they were going to get mugged every day on the way to work. Yeah. And that's the world they actually put into their comics. Yeah. Yeah, and it was great. So, yeah, you know, Stan Lee left a great legacy behind. There's always going to be the comic books. There's always going to be the movies. And for, for people like, you know, the ghoul, myself, Monkey, you know, even the doc who enjoyed the Incredible Hulk TV series and the Spider-Man TV series, you know, he's going to have a place, you know, in pop culture history. Uh, but 95 ain't a bad way to go out, to, to live that long, you know, and to have mm-hmm. that kind of life. So I think it's great. So, with that said, you know, moving away from, from Stan the Man into horror news, with the doc being back, I know he's probably ready to go with uh, some articles. So what do you got for us tonight, Doc? Well, well, before we get to the articles, there's a couple of things that I just want to address very quickly. 
All right. Uh, sure, I'm not the biggest comic book fan in the world, but uh, you guys are. And I know that some of you guys have been very up on the doings of Stanley. There's just one thing I've been meaning to ask you guys about because it's not something that I'm very familiar with, but I've seen a little blurb about it in the news here and there. Uh, was he dealing with some kind of controversy in his last days with like his caretaker or whoever yep. was in charge of his estate? Uh, was it, and maybe someone trying to like uh, yeah. maybe con some dollars? Like what? What was the deal with all of that? King, you know that one. We did talk about that on the show not, what, a month ago. I mean, this is way before he got too sick and, and that. Was, was it, yeah, his, wasn't his that the whole Kevin Smith thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was his daughter had been accused of not, you know, just kind of not taking care of him properly, you know, kind of neglecting her duties as a caretaker. So Kevin Smith even offered to let Stan live with him in his final days because he wanted to make sure that Stan was comfortable and happy and not being abused. Um, you know, and Stan actually released a video a couple months ago saying, well, these are kind of lies and don't believe it. I'm fine, guys. But at the same time, you know, it's still going on today, even after he's gone. You know, these accusations against his daughter that she didn't care for him very much and just wanted that Marvel money, just wanted that, that inheritance that she was going to get once he passed. So it was a very kind of sad days for Stan, you know, leading up to his death. His wife had just died. You know, it was a hard time for him leading up to his death. Yeah, because he just lost his wife last year. Yeah. And a lot of people were thinking that he wasn't going to make it very much longer, you know, after she passed. But he did. But, yeah, his daughter, you know, there's a lot of accusations against her for just, you know, improperly taking care of him. And that's why Kevin Smith reached out and said, I'll take care of him. You know, he can live in my house. You know, well, he's dead now. Stand. Come here. It's never going to be. He's dead. Okay. And I'm just, I don't want to close this on a downer note. So I just want to say one thing and then we can shut it down is I just want to say like, cause I, I, I grew up at this time. I, I know um, the Google group at this time. And I just want to say not only was Stanley the guy who created stuff, he was the guy who read to us. He was the guy who was our intro voice every Saturday morning on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And his yeah. Stanley voice, his Stanley banter, and he was going to tell you what was going on. And it was just he—he he was the face, and and his voice was the voice that made you love Marvel and its stories and its characters. And I, I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, like I said, his legacy is going to be forever. I mean, even in the video games. You know, in the, the, some of the old video games for PlayStation 2, he did a lot of the intros for it. You know, he did a lot of the voiceover work. So, I mean, he was always heavily involved. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to leave on a down and either, so I'm kind of glad that you said that, Monkey. But kind of moving away from that, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, Doc, as well. But uh, So, all right, let's get into some articles. Let's talk some horror before we get into the movie for tonight. Spooky, spooky. All right, well, first of all, it's already old news, but I'm really sad that you guys wouldn't wait four weeks to talk about the new Halloween movie with me. <laughs> <laughs> we had to strike all the iron four weeks for me. What So you, sorry. Well, man, it's, so what did it's, you think about gone, the new Halloween movie, Doc? Well, I, it's I already don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm just going to interject right now. We are wrestling fans. So the reality is it doesn't matter what you think. 
Whoa! What is that? Anyway. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why, then why, did, why does it matter what you think? Why does, it, why, does it, why does it not matter what I think? Why does your opinion count? All right, but seriously. Our, our opinion came right after the movie released as opposed to fucking a month later. Oh, well, maybe after, maybe you need some time to let your thoughts marinate and then you can have a true analysis. Maybe you were thinking mm-hmm. ra- irrationally and emotionally at first. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, and no, yet, no. And you we were good. And, and yet we watch a movie and then cover it two days later on this show. <laughs> we don't we'll let shit marinate. We just throw it on the grill, man. <laughs> no. I'm just being an asshole. But, all right, so let's no, no, uh, Before I bring up a couple of... I would, before I, I bring up a couple I of... I want to hear things, your opinion. I don't want to talk about it right now. Well, maybe we'll have some time later. I have other, other, other pressing, more immediate news to cover. Uh, so I'm right, emotional right now. Can I give uh, a second? Is, is, is everybody... <laughs> And I also have some wine. But is everybody caught up on The Walking Dead? What? You did some yeah. lines? No. Oh, my God. I wish. No, I'm only kidding. If it was like four years <laughs> But anyway. I do cocaine. Uh, is, everybody, is everybody up to date on The Walking Dead? Yes. I am I not. Am. Um, okay, the so, last thing that I saw was Rick Grimes' uh, exit. And that was it. Okay, so, so there's been another episode since. I have not seen it. All right. There has been an episode since, but I do want to talk about something from Rick Grimes' final episode. I don't want to – we're not going to, like, analyze the episode or talk about what we thought. There's Quote, something unquote, I final. No, but that's, that's because we did that already. No, but there's something <laughs> that you, maybe you guys didn't pick up on, and it's something that I didn't pick up on, but I read about it today, and I thought it was really interesting. So apparently – Well, maybe uh, we're smarter than you. Well, that's fine. I'm not trying to be more intelligent than you. I just want to point out something that I read because I wasn't even smart enough to see it. What did you read? All right, so please. So, what did you apparently think? this guy, Greg Nicotero, who has been involved in some of the directing and stuff and everything, uh, is a big fan of horror and genre and in all of his projects, likes to like put in little tributes and things. Uh, did you got, And I did not at all. Uh, but did you guys mm. pick up on the scene in the final Rick Grimes episode when he goes into that cabin, that that cabin was an exact replica of the evil dead house, and inside there was even a gearhead on the wall, and it scans past the Book of the Dead. Did any of you guys pick up on that? Yes. I did catch the cabin, but not, not, the, uh, not the Necronomicon. I didn't catch that. I didn't see the book. So that's a good catch. I caught the, I caught the deer head in the cabin itself. I didn't see the okay. book. So, yeah, I just thought that was that. It was they had the, the they had the cabin constructed like as a replica. I thought that was really cool. I didn't pick mm-hmm. up on that at all. But these days, when I kind of watch the show, I'm not like sitting wrapped with attention. Like I have it on and I watch it, but I'm not like fully focused on every second. Right. But I definitely did not uh, did not see that, and I just thought that was really cool and wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, if you did not pick it up, but I'm glad that you guys did pick it up because you guys are obviously smarter than I am. Um, we, we well, picked it up. and also, Doc, did you notice the, the name on the mailbox that Rick goes to in the cabin? I don't think that I did. I mean, I might have, but I don't remember. The name on the mailbox was uh, Cardill, which is a tribute to Chili Billy Cardill, who was in Night of the Living Dead, and also Lori Cardill. Oh, and his, his daughter, daughter Lori Cardill, is in, who's in the best, the best Romero movie, Day of the Dead. Lori Cardill was, was a star. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But yeah, the, on the mailbox has a name Cardill, so I thought yeah, that was a yeah, cool I did, reference. I, that, now that you say it, I did see that because uh, obviously I'm a huge fan of Day of the Dead. Um, in mm, the I know you are, and it's an excellent movie. I will give you that. I mean, I love Day of the Dead. Uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm right. just pointing it out. You know, that's all. That's all. 
All right, so anyway, let's move no, on. Uh, yeah. Everybody is All of the uh, remake is still excited. better. Although Netflix has not yet announced when we will see it, uh, the third season of Stranger Things has wrapped okay. the filming. And, uh, you know, they got to do all the things they do post-filming to get it ready for us. But as they have said all along, uh, this season uh, upcoming will take place in the summer of 1985. And they're also claiming that it's going to be the darkest uh, season yet. But uh, filming has wrapped. And uh, maybe Being that there's only been two prior seasons, it's not like they're really going to have to push boundaries <laughs> to do that. Of course not. But, you know, that's, they that's what, like, like listen, if the show had eight or nine seasons behind it, and then they're like, oh, and this is going to be our darkest season yet, I'd be like, oh, you know, like, wow, what are they going to do? <laughs> you know, I've seen some heavy-duty shit. But considering we've had two fucking seasons, man, like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't 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 start fucking spouting shit. You know, you're making us wait a long fucking stretch of time for the damn show. And yeah, I'll be longer, honest, longer uh, like one to two. fucking, you know, like even Sam, who was so into it during that stretch, completely has not mentioned it, thought about it, fucking anything, you know. And uh, I'm sure when it comes out, you know, obviously everybody will be be all over it again. But I don't think they capitalized right with this. I think they no. go too yeah. fucking long in between seasons. Yes. Um, so, Doc, is there a release date? Do you know for Stranger Things season three? No, I just I just said they have not yet announced when it's coming down the chute. Uh, okay. You know, season seasons one and two both came, I think, in June or July of their of the their respective years, so 2016 yeah. and 17. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, 2015 and 16. Uh, no, 16 and 17. And uh, we didn't have one this year, so maybe the same time next year, because it will be 2019. Uh, but, you know, I'm just, you know, passing on what I had heard. Yeah, and I think that the ghoul brought up a good point. I think it's, it's I don't know, I mean, maybe, I, uh, obviously the ghoul kind of agrees, but I think they're taking too long with releasing season three. If you have to wait until next year, uh, possibly the summer of 2019 to see that, it's going to be one of those things where, it, you know, you're waiting too long, you know, strike while the iron's hot. Strike while people are still up on this show. Like Sammy's starting to forget about it, where it's like, no, do it now. Like, you know, release the season, you know, do it. So people don't forget about it. So by summer 2019, you're like, okay, great. Stranger things. I forgot about that show. Cool. You know? Well, yeah, because every time King and I went out uh, shopping around Halloween time, checking out the costume shops and shit, there was all this Stranger Things shit, but no one was buying it. And that, nope. that was one of the few things that was still that was one of the few things that was still all over the shelves when we went after Halloween shopping. Yeah. Yep. All uh, the things everything was, was Fortnite there. this year. Yeah, it was very much Fortnite this year. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I kind of wish that they had done it sooner. Um, I think last year it was released around uh, October. You know the second season, so I thought it would have been nice. You know, if you kind of go back and do it, but obviously they have a plan in place. But you know, I think they're waiting too long. Uh, so, all right, Doc. So, what else do you have for us tonight? All right, uh, I'm pulling this one straight out of the files of who fucking cares. Um, <laughs> from that cabinet, there's an interview show on one of the oh, yeah. channels starring, starring Dan Rather, and he interviews people. <laughs> yeah. uh, it might be on Axis TV, or I don't know. It's a Fuse TV, and he like has sit-down table interviews with notable people in entertainment 
uh, washed up rock stars, etc. And he had an interview Did with you say Janet Little Bo Peep. Little Bo Peep. What? No. Is that who you said he did an interview with? I didn't hear no, that. No, I said notable notable people in entertainment, <laughs> watched up rock stars, etc. Wow. Little Bo Peep, man. That's a rule. He was interviewing Little Bo Peep. We learned all about the sheep. But anyway, uh, Dan <laughs> Aykroyd was being for. interviewed, and Dan Aykroyd apparently now is once again saying that his his perfect script for legitimate Ghostbusters 3 is complete. Uh-huh. Uh, Bill Murray even has interest, even if he plays a ghost, and they can't wait to make Ghostbusters 3. Like, seriously, does anybody yep. actually give a fuck about this anymore? Am, am I the yeah. only one that thinks that this is the most stupid fucking news that I saw today? Yeah, I, I, um, I posted an article on the Talking Terror page on Facebook. I saw it earlier on Bloody Disgusting, and Bloody Disgusting is a site that loves everything. So they're like, yes, Dan Aykroyd, we love it. I'm like, okay. Aykroyd has been dangling that carrot in front of all the Ghostbusters fans forever about Ghostbusters 3. I just think he likes doing that. I think he likes fucking with people and going, yep, we got a script that's coming out soon, guys. Oh, yeah, we're going to jump back <laughs> in the XO one and we're going to fucking bust some ghosts. Like, yeah, no, you're not. The video game came out years ago, and that was a good enough sequel in video game form. Don't fucking say you're going to make another Ghostbusters 3 because you're not. It's going to be another year, and he's going to be like, well, we're really close now, guys. Really close. By the way, buy Crystal Head Vodka, because that's uh, <laughs> mine. So, you know, Ghoul Monkey, what do you think about Dan Aykroyd once again teasing Ghostbusters 3? Go ahead, got nothing cool. else to do this time. Well, listen, you know, uh, again, I know when they did that video game that that supposedly was, you know, supposed to be taken yeah. as Ghostbusters 3. Uh, it's not that I'm against the Ghostbusters 3. I just think that, uh, you know what? The fucking franchise die, man. You know, yeah, you're yep. obviously yep. not making anything. You're not doing anything. All you're doing is, is fucking throwing shit out there and trying to see what's going to stick. Does he think by saying this that, you know, all of a sudden some studio is going to be like, oh, hey, oh, Dan Aykroyd said he's got a, he's got a script. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we should, should give him a call and, uh, and throw him a lot of money. Let's, let's see what he's got. Um, you know, I I don't know. You know, they are getting older though, so yeah, they are. I just don't think that. Uh, I don't think any studio is really going to be looking to, to throw fucking funds at them. But, no. You know, we like we said with the whole thing with Halloween being successful, we're going to see all kinds of shit coming out of the woodwork that we may not necessarily yeah. have expected. <laughs> well, yeah, well, especially with the so, monkey. What so, do you so, think? Well, especially with the way that the latest Ghostbusters movie just flopped. You know, it's like, I, I think the name has now been a bit tainted in Hollywood. It's just, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to... Hey, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to want to touch it, man. It's like, you know, there, there's a couple kids' toys out there and stuff like that, and there's a, a couple collectible action figures and stuff like that, but I think that's about as far as it's going to go, and like the ghoul said, I agree with him. It's like, just let it die, man. It was a you know, a great two movies back in the day. They're still fun to watch today, but as far as continuing the saga, yeah, I, yeah, I think we should just steer clear of it. Yeah. I, uh, um, I, I also fall into the category of having of had some hope for that movie that came out a couple of years ago, 
and mm-hmm. unfortunately just feeling like just completely let down by the writing and the actors that were involved with it. You know, I just, uh, that had a lot of potential with its cast. And if they would have yeah, allowed them yeah. to do something that would have, um, I don't know, like, like I said from the start with that, there was no reason to turn around and pretend like the Ghostbusters never existed. You very well could have yeah. made that movie with still having the original Ghostbusters. They didn't need to be in it, but at least acknowledging that they existed. And, you know, you could have wrote something a lot better. And especially well, with Louise McCarthy. Where, uh, it was fucking hysterical, and she just was yeah. wasted in that film. And I feel like that's where they kind of fell with the trailer uh, when the trailer for, dropped uh, for the first time for that Ghostbusters reboot, where they were saying, you know, uh, back in 1984, four scientists got together and there was a paranormal event. And all of a sudden now we're going into this year and it's, you know, four females. And, yeah, they're all funny in their own rights. I, I like the cast. I just had no interest in seeing it. It wasn't the fact that it was an all-female cast. I didn't care about that. I just – I was like, ah, you know, it's, it's – you're kind of rebooting a series. It's fine, but you know, I had no interest. And it's the fact that people were saying, I don't really want to see it because I don't care about it. All of a sudden now it's like, Oh, you're a misogynist. You don't like women comedies. No, I like women comedies. It's just that Ghostbusters isn't the way to go. You do something what else. What are some of your favorite women comedies? Uh, Bridesmaids. One of, one of my favorite movies. Um, Completely love that. I love Melissa McCarthy and everything that she does. You know, the heat, Tammy. She's great, you know, and what she does in comedies. Sitting in the sink. Holy shit, dude. That fucking scene kills me every fucking time. Yeah. Don't look at me. (laughs) It's such a. And that's that's Paul Feig, too, who directed Ghostbusters. And it's. It's one of those things where it's just it, it's going to work or it doesn't. I've never seen Ghostbusters the the reboot. Just had no interest. I just you know I have Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters two to fall back on. I don't really need to see an updated version. Just wasn't in my wheelhouse um, to yeah. go see. And, and Dan Aykroyd was like, "Well, that movie wasn't that good anyway. They just made a lot of money on it, and I don't care." So Ghostbusters three guys coming out soon. Hey, we even say that since I was in high school, man. Just <laughs> move for, on. Just. Just bring back Ecto Cooler and let it go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, bring back Ecto Cooler and put it in your crystal head vodka. We'll be happy. You know, just yeah, that. that was the only good thing that came out of the new Ghostbusters movie was that they brought back Ecto Cooler for a little bit. Completely agree. <laughs> yeah, loved it. Still have my container hanging up in my apartment. Ecto Cooler. You drank it? Oh. You drank Ecto Cooler? Oh, yeah. Loved it. Like now in two thousand in like in modern times when like as an adult? Yeah. Drank it like a little kid. Right. Well, strong and everything. I too have to admit that I uh I do enjoy it, that when they had it out again I did did imbibe some of that ecto cooler and it is still quite good. A lot of sugar, but yeah. quite good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I bought I bought that shit in bulk, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the monkey knows I still have that one Ecto Cooler container hanging up in my apartment. You know, just saying, <laughs> it came back for a little while. You know, a little part of my childhood came back, and I enjoyed the shit out of it. So, you know, it was, it was a fun thing. Um, but so, yeah, moving away from Ackroyd's, you know, fever dreams of making a Ghostbusters 3, what else do you have for us? Doc? So this, this one made me happy. So uh, we have talked before on the show about the impact that the – Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark collection uh, had all had on us. We've talked about our love for those books and stories uh, many times. And 
we all know that Guillermo del Toro is producing a uh, big screen version of, mm-hmm. of this is a feature film that we're going to see in 2019. Uh, but a piece of info that I thought was pretty interesting that I wanted to share with you guys as you see it is that there is going to be a Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark documentary uh, that is going to receive a theatrical release, uh, kind of circling around the time of whenever the uh, feature film version is going to happen. And I have to say, like, I think that's just like such a really cool project. Um, you know, I remember reading those books uh, in Lafayette Mills when I was in elementary school. And mm-hmm. as we all know, uh, you know, I am a teacher and I have all three books in like a box collection, but it's on my bookshelf. Uh, in my classroom that my students are uh, welcome to explore. And I, and I have to say, they were very, very, very popular around the Halloween season uh, this year. Uh, a few weeks ago on our Talking Terror Instagram page, I posted a picture of me with three books kind of fanned out in front of my face. You can kind of see my eyes, but like the kids were all about those. They were like borrowing them every day. They were like sitting in little groups and reading the stories together. They were like, really, it was even one little girl who's like, I hate scary stories was like involved in reading them and enjoying it. And uh, it was, it was really cool. So uh, that stuff lives on as, as it shall. And that there's going to be a documentary to kind of celebrate that kind of impact that I just saw recently, I think is really cool. Yeah, completely agree. And plus the, the illustrations by Stephen Gamble, you know, for me, especially as a kid, hit so close to home because I just love those illustrations that go along with the stories because they were so weird and creepy and just so well done to kind of accompany the story. And to hear that, you know, you know what the doc was saying, that kids today are reading these books and getting freaked out and enjoying them and scaring each other. That really kind of just makes me happy because those books meant so much to me as a kid and to know that kids today are enjoying them just as much. It, you know, it kind of gives me hope in the future, you know, for kids that want to get into horror. Because yeah, that's a great entry point, you know, book-wise, to get into it. Yeah, because you start off with stuff like Goosebumps and things like that, and then you bump it up to this. And then you bump it up into real horror, like King and Barker and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, these days, you know, the kids have the creepy pasta thing, so... No, that's that's even that's, over, man. Uh, is that over? Is that done? Could be possible. It's not one hundred percent done, uh, but the access and finding the stories. I mean, if you know how to use Google and you're not a complete moron, you'll be able to figure it out. Uh, but it's not as uh, right out it's there not as, as prevalent it used to be. as it was. Yeah, but yeah. Like, there's still some great stories, and I, you know, when they when there was all that controversy. Uh, what I had done was I had found a site that had, uh, you know, all of the stories that were archived somewhere. I had, like, printed out a whole bunch of them, and I have them in a folder for kids that want to read that stuff. And I also have uh, saved a whole bunch of links that I can link kids to uh, to where they can actually see some of those stories if they express interest. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember uh, creepypastas being a huge thing for a while on Reddit. Um, Slenderman came out of that, you know, and Slenderman became so huge that it got into movies. You know, yeah, Slenderman, I mean, the movie didn't even come out, I think, until this year. Like, the Slenderman thing is, yeah. like, it's old already. But, yeah, Slenderman, Jeff and Jane the Killer, uh, uh, The Watcher, Footsteps, The Russian Sleep Experiment. Uh, there was a whole yeah. bunch of those that were really popular. Yeah, and, you know, to, to hear that it's kind of on the downcline, 
you know, I'm kind of disappointed because I feel like those what were great like? stories for the modern generation to read. It's kind of like scary, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, you know, it's that internet generation that can go online and access these stories and, and freak each other out. Like you said, Jeff the Killer, Slender Man, uh, the Russian Sleep Experiment, which is one of my favorite creepypastas. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, kind of sad to see that some down coin, but uh, uh, hopefully, you know, somebody kind of resurrects that, you know, because there's, there's plenty of material, and I'm surprised that there aren't more movies, you know, based on creepypastas, because there's a lot of material there. Not just Slender Man, but a lot of it. Um, but yeah, you know, to get kids reading, especially, you know, is a hard thing to do, I'm sure, you know, in this day and age, because of, of modern technology, like YouTube and Facebook, but to get kids to actually open up a book and read, you know, it's awesome. You know, I'm so happy that that's happening. Hmm. Oh, Lamar Burton agrees with you. I know. Reading is fun. <laughs> you don't have to take my word for it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Doc, what else do you have for us? So, I know you had posted about this on our Facebook page. Uh, maybe this week or a few days ago, sometime in the very recent past, but about this uh, yeah. unseen uh, George Romero film, The Amusement Park. Um, yeah. I don't know if I, and if, forgive me if you did mention this in the Facebook post, but one thing that I pointed out was that they're kind of like dangling it as a carrot as far as its release. And what I had read today was that the Romero Foundation are like looking for the people uh, to fund the restoration and release. And they're uh, seeking endorsements, I'm uh, endorsements, they're seeking donations. Uh, through the Romero Foundation website, and they feel that, or they're not they feel they they're saying that if enough people donate enough money, uh, they will go through the restoration process uh, to get it ready for uh, release. Um, you know, I personally feel that, you know, that I don't want to say that's like a chintzy move, but like to say, oh, we got this thing, but if you want to see it, you got to pony up the dough, uh, and enough people got to pony up the dough. Uh, but I don't know if you included that in, in the Facebook post. So I did see that bit today about how if, if they want that movie to release, to be released, people are going to have to donate money uh, to make that happen. Um, I didn't include it in the Facebook post, but I, I agree with you, Doc. Um, the fact that Suzanne DeRoche Romero, uh, his wife before he passed away, um, is working with the Romero Foundation to get donations for this movie to get released. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, it is like you had said, dangling that carrot because you have the guy that's working on the unfinished Romero book, the living dead, which he wants to finish and complete and release it in 2019. He put on Twitter. Oh guys, you have to see the amusement park. It's so scary. And it's so just weird. And you have to see this movie. And if you want to see it, donate. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of chintzy to me. Like, I'm sure that you could release this without having to have crowdfunding behind it. Um, it's like what I talked about a couple weeks ago about how Suzanne DeRoche Romero said that there's like 50 to, 40 to 50 scripts that Romero had written that aren't filmed. They're just kind of sitting there. And it's like, well, we're waiting for the right filmmaker and the right studio and the right money, and we can get these movies made. It's like, well, you know, it, it seems kind of like a cash grab you know, of trying to capitalize Romero's name. You know, I would love to get these movies made, but to kind of pander to the crowd and say, well, if you don't donate money, you're not going to get these movies. To me, it's kind of a cheap move. You know, it's not something that I don't think Romero would be behind to kind of beg people for money to get a movie made. 
You know, just get well, the money together and make it. That's what he well, always said. Yeah, and especially when he was always about getting his own money and making his own movie the way he wanted yeah. to do it. You know, from what you told me, it's like, you know, he was very much independent and all about control, but it was all about getting your own funds to make the project you want to make. That's right. He never wanted to rely on that stuff. I mean, he always kind of backed away from, you know, let's, let's have the fans, you know, donate, and let's have the fans, you know, do this stuff. Now, he always just said, if I want to make this movie, I'll get the money my own way, and I'll figure it out. You know, that was always Romero's way. So as much as I want to see the amusement park, you know, I don't feel like you should hold this up for cash, you know, to make it made. So, you know, Ghoul, what do you think about it? I mean, um, one, I mean, I don't have any real interest in seeing the film. Um, I feel right. like it's one of those where if the movie was of – but I don't want to say if it was of any real quality, somebody would have backed it or, you know, a company would have right. made it or he would have made it. You know, um, obviously mm. he didn't feel strongly enough about it, nor did anybody that he ever pitched it to. But that being said, I mean, I'm not completely against them trying to crowdfund it, if only just to try to look at it from the point of view of like, you know, hey, you know, do you want to, not only do you want to see the movie, but, you know, do you maybe want to be a bit uh, of a part of it? You know, mm-hmm. being that Romero yeah. can't be there anymore, is this a yeah. way of kind of bringing him back in spirit by, you know, kind of putting together something like this crowdfunded-wise? I mean, you know, we look at all these indie films, like, you know, some of our, our friends, that's how they come up yeah. with the cash to do some of these films. You know, at no point do I ever turn around and say, Oh, Hey, you know, they're, they're doing a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, what scumbags, you know, they should fund their right. own film. No, I mean, we know that they're getting their monies together as well. It's not like they're only taking the money that's coming from, you know, whatever campaign they're putting together for it, as I'm sure they're doing with this too. You know, it's a matter of being able to come up with enough money to put it together and put it together. Right. You know, I think if they mm-hmm. were to try to put this out and it looks like, you know, utter shit because they didn't clean up the, the, the footage or whatever right. because they can't afford to do that, well, then people are just going to complain that, well, what the fuck you release it for? Or why are you making us pay, you know, yeah. 20 bucks for a DVD that you're, you know, you, you didn't even bother putting any effort into? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see both sides of the coin. You know, you got to pay people. Yeah. I definitely see both sides of the coin, like you were saying, Ghoul. Um, it's a, it's one of those things where it, it was completed back in 73. It was meant to be a one-hour film, 60 minutes, you know. And from what they've been talking about as far as the plot, I'm like, all right, I'm really interested. Six, but 60 minutes is an hour? Sorry. Just, yeah, wasn't sure. it's an hour. Just, just to clarify for people at home that, you know, need to know. But um, it, it's one of those things where it's done, it's completed, you know, maybe it's going to get a rough cut. You know, I know that they want to clean it up, but it, 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 I get it that in that sense. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like, if you want to see it, donate. If you don't donate, you're never going to see it. I'm like, to me, that's kind of chintzy. You know, like you had said, Ghoul, with friends of ours uh, that want to get these movies made, I know that a friend of ours of the show, Chris Martina, who did WNUF special, um, he's doing a sequel and he's trying to get crowdfunding. I get that. It's hard to come up with the money to make a movie that you want to make. But with this being already completed, you know, I don't, I don't think that you should be saying, if you want to see it, donate. If you know, because it's never going to be released if you don't donate money. It's, well, I'm sure there's enough money left in Romero's estate to get this thing filled, you know, and get it made. 
Right. We don't know his bills. <laughs> well, we don't, but I'm, I'm sure Romero wasn't hurting. You know, I'm, I'm sure he was comfortable, you know, in a way, you know, before he passed, you know, what he had. So, I mean, I'd love to get to see it because, you know, anything Romero, I'm in, you know, especially with the amusement park because it was never seen before. He's got 40, 50 scripts. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where I'd love to get to see it. But, you know, if you want to beg me for money, that's fine too, but don't make it seem like if you don't donate, you're never going to get to see it and don't consider yourself a fan. You know, it's one of the, you know, kind of a weird balance where it's like, you know, if you're a fan, you should donate, you know, because, you know, why not? It's Romero. It's like, I know. <laughs> but some of us don't have the funds to just throw to, you know, seeing things get made. But uh, moving away from that, and I want to get to the last thing to talk about before we get into the movie. So, Doc, what do you have to kind of land us on? So all of the streaming services out there, your Netflixes and Primes and Hulus and Shutters and all the different services that offer streaming content are obviously uh, over the last couple of years are in this kind of fast-paced race to capture our attention with original content. And I mm-hmm. said today that Amazon Prime has struck a deal uh, with Blumhouse Films for eight feature films, uh, an eight-film deal with Amazon uh, for Blumhouse, where there will be uh, the creation of eight, uh, this trendy word, elevated, uh, eight mm. elevated thrillers, yep. stories with dark themes, and they'll be looking to bring in uh, in, and I quote from the article, filmmakers of diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it's a cool piece of news. I do have Prime, so I will be able to happily watch these things, unlike things on Hulu, which I don't get to watch. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool piece I've, of news. Good I've got Hulu. And that's uh, it's probably a deal that's going to work out nicely for everybody. Yeah, I definitely think that Blumhouse should strike while the iron's hot, like I always say. Um, I read that article, too, about how they're going to make all these movies, but there's going to be a connecting thread. It's going to be a diverse, you know, array of directors. I'm all for it, you know, especially if it, it could create more content. Um, what, well, like black people? <laughs> 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 black people? Women directors, you know, in horror. They might I, get I some ladies. Mm-hmm. Which was a whole to- controversy with Blumhouse all in and of itself. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can create, um, especially having a connecting thread. I'd love to see what that's going to be all about. But, yeah, we'll see what they come up with. You know, like we talked about in the show, Blumhouse is kind of becoming the premier place for horror. And I'm not disappointed by that it because is. they've had a lot of good content. Yeah, they've been coming out and they've been coming out strong with a lot of stuff. And it's cool that people are, you know, or at least are getting the funding and willing to put out the product now while – you know, it's it's still rocking. It's like, you know, don't let this shit go, get cold. <laughs> Keep pumping out projects, and ho- hopefully they're going to stick with a bunch of kick-ass projects and not just start pumping out a bunch of shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't want to have it be a point where they have to bloodlet to get these things made. And speaking of bloodletting, we have a movie to talk about tonight, Apostle. Oh! Oh, oh damn, Mo! That was a fucking segue and a half, bro. Right from downtown. There goes the king. Thinking it. Yeah. Nicely done, so. sir. Nicely done. Thank you. I like to think I could do a nice segue every now and then on the show. So, Doc, 
Apostle, directed by Gareth Evans, 2018. Uh, give us a plot. Give us why you picked it. And let's carry this thing off. All right. So Apostle is a new movie. Uh, streaming on Netflix, uh, Netflix original content, as we were just talking about, uh, sort of streaming services and their original uh, content, uh, debuted uh, on Netflix just a few weeks ago on October 12th, actually a little more than a month ago. Uh, and the reason this one came into my radar is because I had been reading a lot about, uh, you know, some different action movies uh, from different parts of the world and what's going on with, like, these, uh, you know, really cool kind of intensely violent uh, action movies. And Apostle is directed by Gareth Evans, and I do not know if you guys have seen all of these movies, but he has directed two of the most badass action movies that I had seen uh, in a really long time, that being The Raid and The Raid 2. Uh, those movies are just fucking delightfully brutal. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yep. You know, uh, I know a lot of, there was a lot of chatter and a lot of talk for people that wanted the Raid series to continue. Uh, Gareth Evans has, you know, floated ideas here and there, but ultimately uh, recently said that uh, those of you that are hoping for a Raid 3, uh, not to get your hopes up, that it's not really something oh. you're focusing. And then all of a sudden here he comes out on Netflix with Apostle, and, uh, you know, I'm really a fan of his direction from those two movies. Uh, I needed something to pick for the show, and I was looking to go uh, with something a little bit more modern uh, this go-around. Uh, so here we are with Apostle, which takes place in 1905. Um, <laughs> that's that's modern. Well, uh, <laughs> that? 1905, that's modern. Well, the movie is from 2018, making it modern. Right. The setting... Not so modern. But anyway, it uh, takes place in 1985. Uh, this guy, Richardson, uh, travels uh, to a remote island to look for his sister uh, who is missing uh, and has been kidnapped and, you know, held for ransom by some mysterious cult. And, you know, all this crazy shit happens. There's religious overtones. There's violence. Um, you know, there's turmoil as uh, Richardson tries to find out what is going on. So, I mean, that's the simplest plot explanation I can come up for this one because I can't even imagine like trying to explain this plot out loud and hold someone's attention because <laughs> it can come off as very confusing I would imagine uh, but there yeah. we have Apostle alright so Gould to kick it off what do you think about Apostle uh, I mean this definitely falls into I guess what they consider this whole elevated horror thing you know I put this yeah, in there with like you know the witch and and all of those types of films um, trying to get a little bit deeper trying to to blend genres a little bit um, as mm-hmm. far as a film goes uh, you know it, it had it's good moments it had some slow moments. Uh, I didn't hate it. Was it was the worst of times. It you was know. the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, concerning hobbits. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of movie, though, that where when all is said and done, I found myself having to do a little bit of homework just to kind of get an idea of the, uh, you know, what was going on at certain points within the film. But, yeah, aside from that, yeah, it was, it was doable. You know, I am a big okay. fan of the raid. I haven't seen the second movie yet. Um, yeah, it's one that I, I keep meaning to watch. But the raid redemption was fucking phenomenal. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure me and you did that uh, on one of our late night sessions. Who? <laughs> oh. Me and you, Doc. No, definitely not. Uh oh. Well, was somebody. You sure? Because <laughs> I um, could have sworn it was you who brought the DVD over. No, I never had the DVD of it. Oh, okay. So then I don't know. I don't know how I saw the first one then, but I could have sworn it was with you. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm pretty positive it was me. All right. So, Muggy, what did you think about Apostle? All right. Well, for starters, this is like one of the first uh, Netflix original movies I've ever seen. So, Mm. straight off the gate, I just want to say I was pleasantly surprised by the quality of the movie. Um, just the actual film quality and the quality of the acting. I was just blown away by the scenery. Like, it's just all the scenery that was just on the island was just amazing. Like, and, yeah, it just sucked me in straight off the get-go with that. It had a nice little score that sounded an awful lot like the Xbox game Fable. Um, (laughs) But but this is definitely... (laughs) Um, but this is definitely a slow burn movie for sure, man. And you know, for this, it's like you got to be in the mood for a, a nice historical drama piece. And I thought it was an okay compromise between historical drama, horror, and gore. Um, you know, it, it, it did well. It's like, but like the ghoul said, you know, it's, again, it had some dry spots and then it had some really wet spots, which we'll get to as well. It's like. You know, it was very hit and miss, you know, but... Red spots. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, but the movie was definitely split into two halves, in my opinion, and I think there shouldn't have been such a stark split between the two. I think we should have had a little bit more breaking up of those parts and meshing them in between each other, and it would have made the movie fl- flow better and made it more of a fun ride, in my opinion. That's it, man. So now, by dry, you mean like Nina Hartley, and by wet, you mean like <laughs> Gina Valentina. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't think Nina Hartley is very dry. And, you know, I think she does okay for herself. <laughs> Seen a lot of good stuff. I, I think Nina Hartley. I think if the I think these days if the wind goes by, she actually just dropped like I don't know one or two new scenes. Um, <laughs> I know. Just, She's always it's just fucking horror. The, the the thought horrifies me um, <laughs> because I just feel like if you know a, a wind blows by too too hard, she's just gonna poof into a, a big cloud of of dust. <laughs> so brittle. <laughs> and pu- and pubic hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. Um, but uh, as far as what I thought about Apostle, um, and I talked about this last night with the monkey. Um, the movie is two hours and roughly five minutes, and it oh. definitely felt like that for me. It definitely felt like it was a long movie, um, which is weird because, like uh, the ghoul had mentioned earlier about The Witch, I'm a huge fan of The Witch. Like, I love that movie, and I love talking about it, and I love meeting people that talk about The Witch because it is a slow burn movie, and then it kind of picks up. Um, but the apostle, up. Jesus it was Christ, the last 15 to 20 minutes of that fucking movie are insane. Yeah. Um, they, they are just fucking crazy. Um, and, and we'll get there with the, with apostle too. Um, 
They made a single. I just, um, I just, I had a problem with it because I just, I don't know. Um, I kind of was bored with with big portions of with this movie. I just, I didn't have any characters that I particularly cared about, you know, and I felt like I wanted to see the development of those characters. I felt like this movie benefited from a great third act. Like it was Gareth Evans saying, you know what, I kind of want to do a, a raid third act for this movie. And it's going to pay off. So I felt like this movie was channeling the Wicker Man, you know, from the 70s. And it was also channeling mm-hmm. Hellraiser in a lot of ways towards the end. You know, it's like we're, we're in the third act. We're going to fuck you up. And I'm like, all right, I love it. I love the third act of this movie. Like, I felt like, you know, I went off the rails and it was just fucking just nothing but blood and violence. But you have to get through the first hour and some change before yeah. you kind of get into anything that happens. And I felt like it was too long of a movie. I felt like this movie could have been an hour and 40 minutes, and I would have been happy. But it was making two hours. It was a little too long. Good. Oh, see, I kind of... No, no, I was just saying I agree with you. That's all. Okay. What were you going right. to yeah, Go ahead, Google. I was going to say that I actually kind of disagree on wanting it to be shorter I actually okay. wish that this might have been drawn out more as a miniseries. Told you, have I gotten, told you the ghoul was going to say that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you did. You called it. <laughs> well, to get a little deeper into what yeah. life yeah. was like on the island, to get yeah. into oh, yeah. the characters yeah. a little bit more. Um, I feel like trying to squeeze as much as they did into a two-hour film when, you know... It, it, it was just too much, you know. The the setting was yeah. beautiful. Yep. The fucking landscape, yeah. everything was just fantastic. It was fantastically filmed, but the characters oh, yeah. were thin because you just mm-hmm. never got enough time with any of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and like Monday said, he called it. Where he's like, it could have been a series. And the ghoul's going to say that. And I was like, yep. He nailed it. It, it, it could have been, you know, a series. No. Now I don't know about you guys, but like with the whole village thing that we have going on 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 the island, you know they're they're all supposed to be mm-hmm. scavengers, you know, and you know building the village from what they can get from the sea and what they can sneak aboard and stuff like that, you know, sneak across the ocean. Do you think it should have had more of a you know salvaged look and you know instead of so pristine and precise buildings, do you think maybe it should have you know had more of a wasteland look or do you think that would have been a little bit too much like mad max or some shit not sure what do you think uh, doc i mean no i don't think that it should have had more than than a more of a wasteland look um i feel like it kind of looked appropriate for its time and place and i do mm-hmm. want to kind of parrot what you guys consider is that uh i felt this, one of the strongest suits with this one was that uh, this movie was absolutely beautifully shot. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the cinematography, the photography, uh, the the costumes, and even if the characters were not so deep, I felt that all of the characters were very well acted and very much looked of the time and place, uh, which I mm. feel that in period pieces is is very important. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought up the Wicker Man. Uh, King, and I'm not talking about the Nicolas Cage nonsense. I'm talking no, about the original, the original Christopher Lee one, which from from that time period is one of my absolute favorites. I agree. And 
uh, you know, right away when you have, I mean, there's a parallel right away when, you know, someone is going to a remote island to, to, to track someone down and what's going to happen. So I picked up on that right away. I feel that was impossible not to. Um, I agree with the ghoul completely in that uh, the, I would have liked to have seen more of the island life uh, explored and, all, and also a little bit more of the background of, um, uh, you know, what are their names? Uh, Malcolm, uh, Frank, and Quinn, the kind of leaders, uh, and how they kind of truly got to those positions and how it all really came, all came together. So I definitely feel that more background uh, was needed there, and I feel that was one of the, the weak parts of this particular one. Yeah, and I definitely resound that, uh, Doc, because I feel like it's a, a kind of an early information dump that you get early on in the movie uh, when Thomas first arrives on the island and he's posing as a convert so he can get his sister Jennifer off the island after she's been kidnapped. Um, and you have Malcolm, who I liked Malcolm you know, as the cult leader. Like, I liked him. Um, he wasn't fleshed out enough for me as a character, but I did like where he was going. I agree with that a little but, bit. I feel like I, I didn't necessarily like him at first, but the more that we did get to know him, I started to like him a little more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a development kind of thing. But it was kind of one of those things where it's like we're throwing you into the middle of this. You know, we're not going to yeah. give you a lot of exposition. We're kind of throwing you into the whole thick of it. You know, we're giving you this island of this cult and how they, they worship a goddess. And Malcolm and his two friends, Quinn and Frank, were convicts, and they landed on this island, and they started this whole thing, and that's how it began. And it, it delves into bloodletting, which I did like. It was a good aspect, you know, where the blood is what gives the island life. And if you give your blood, you can give back to the island. And I like that aspect. Now, I don't know what you guys thought about the bloodletting, but I thought that was kind of a cool aspect to add. I think that it was a cool aspect to add because it started to take this in that kind of, uh, you know, more supernatural kind of direction than, say, mm-hmm. something like the Wicker Man. Uh, the Wicker Man was just like some religious value. And here, yeah. like the blood and the land, like, all right, now we're getting into something. Is this sinister? Uh, is this not? Is it, but it started to turn into that supernatural territory, uh, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Gould. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But, you know, like I said, I just uh, as far as the actors and everything go, I think that, um, yeah, I think they I definitely agree with the doc on that. They did pick a a fantastic cast. The lead, uh, Dan Stevens, I know him from Legion on FX, um, which (laughs) is a fantastic, fantastic TV series. um, You've used that that one a lot tonight, fantastic. It, it, well, this it's one fantastic. is, I mean, if if you ever want to experience a an acid trip for an hour once a week, watch Legion, mm-hmm. because every fucking episode pretty much, like, induces a trip, because you just, it, it's out there, man, and it is great. Um, See, so yeah, I didn't use fantastic, I used another adjective. Um, <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> but yes, the rest of the cast was also solid. Uh Malcolm I have seen in uh two other series actually. Uh he played Lucian in the Underworld series. 
Um, and mm-hmm. then okay. he played Aro in the Twilight series, the leader of like whatever fucking Vatican. Was base. that him? Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. I did not pick um, up on that. Thank so, you for bringing that up. This guy's got a, uh, a broad range of, uh, of of stuff, but yeah, I think that just a lot of stuff came out of of weird areas, and even like the bloodletting and everything. I think if given time to develop, it could have been a it could have been a better mystery as far as trying to figure out. You know, these guys, yeah, sure, okay, they're convicts, they're convicts, we know they're convicts, and they created this place. Well, right. how long ago did they create this place? Were the kids born there? Were they not born there? You right. know, we never get a sense of how long this community has really been there. Um, you know, the only reason why we know how long Dan was missing is if, like I said, you ended up having to, I ended up having to do a little bit of homework, you know, and I know that what happened with him was during the boxer rebellion that occurred in China, which was Mm -hmm. between like 1899 and 1901. Um, you know, they, they needed more time to give better exposition for all of these things. Now you can't make this a fucking three, four hour movie, but you could have explained it a lot better if you if you had more time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I did like that to... one particular sequence where uh, Thomas is walking back to his room, and you have all the the jars of blood outside of the door. Like you know, they've all given their penance of blood, and he has a key to his room, and there's a little blade on the end of the key, and it strikes him on the thumb, and he bleeds onto the floor. And the blood drips onto the floor. He walks into the room. And as the blood's kind of dripping into one of the cracks, you have the fucking god going, bam, bam, bam. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, like, where did this come from? Like, you know, this, this weird you enjoyed the girl. Head, uh, <laughs> drinking the, the blood. But you also have um, my favorite characters in this movie, which is uh, Theon and Jeremy. Um, you know, the two lovers. And I love the fact that they have sex on the beach and she climbs on top of him and starts going to they town. I'm like, it's 1905. Dude, that, <clears throat> like, that he must have been so that hips, to see a man. fucking tit. Like, yeah, when, that back when in she took that turn. Like, you get to see a breast for the first time. You have no uh, porn you know, back then. In, yeah, in that scene when we, when we met those characters and saw what was going on, I definitely was kind of surprised by uh, the way she did kind of climb on top of him and yeah. I have to say, yeah. like that, it, it looked pretty sexy the way that it was shot, even with them not showing mm-hmm. anything. It was a pretty cool scene. It was. And, gave you know, me, it gave me wood. Yeah. I, mean, I had like, the ghoul mentality at that point. I'm like, man, 1905, you're a young kid, and you're getting to see a tip for the first time, you're getting ridden by a girl? Hell yeah, man, enjoy this, Jeremy. Like, you know, enjoy <laughs> the time, because it's a great time. Jeremy's coming. but it was great and that's why I said that's why I like these two characters because they're so young and in love and and, you know it's kind of cool to see where they went with it and we'll get to it you know going to the the last act of the movie Um, but you don't get too much about Jennifer who is there and she's being held for ransom by this cult and Malcolm wants to get all the money that he can so he can bring it back to the island, and that's why Jennifer's there. Um, and I like what they do with his sister because Thomas is kind of there as acting as a convert of this cult, but he's also there to save his sister. Um, 
and I love it when he starts parading her around, you know, towards uh, the middle part of the movie, you know, as this, you know, who did it, you know, you know, who, what's going on. And he can't do anything. And that's what kind of got me involved with the character of Thomas, where it's like, you can't, you know, just save her. You kind of just have to stand by and watch her get tortured by these kids poking at her with sticks, you know, and braiding her hair and spitting at her. You know, it was so weird, but I liked it. And so um, that's what I wanted to get from you guys. What do you think about the little torture of Jennifer being poked at by sticks you know, and braiding the hair? And I liked it. I was like, all right, I like it. This poor woman been through so much being locked in a box, you know, for so long. Uh, I completely forgot about her, to be honest, because you had the storyline wander around so much in the village because you've got the whole bloodletting thing, you've got the conspiracies going on between, you know, the hierarchy of the village. They're still trying to build stories here. It, it like yeah. Google has said, it was you had way too much story that you were trying yep. to pack into this thing where it was like, you know, just pick a fucking storyline and stick with it. It's like, we, <laughs> you can't have them all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you definitely can't. Because they also have um, one of one of the uh, set pieces that I did like was you had the supposed infiltrator, the supposed spy of, of the, the, the cult, and they want to figure out who it is. So they line all the men up in the camp, and, and, and Thomas is one of them. You know, all he's of the right next guys. to one of the guys. Um, all the new that, guys. All the new yeah. men, you know, and they wind except, them all up, and, and Thomas, except for the you know, is there. Except for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I like that Malcolm is kind of just questioning them, and, and he walks with a, a wooden cane, so he's kind of knocking against their chests, and, you know, are like, you the well, one, are you the one? And you have the one guy that has the knife, and he breaks it out, and he attempts to stab Malcolm with it. I love the fact that these guards of Malcolm immediately just start stabbing him with these stakes. Like, it was such a great blood moment for this movie. Oh, you no, know, they weren't They, they waste no time. No, they didn't, weren't stabbing him, Simon. They just shoved him through one time. That was it. Yeah, it yeah. was just straight and swift and... Um, excuse me. I really enjoyed this effect of... The way they stabbed him and whatnot, yeah. he was pretty much pinned up and, in a weird way, crucified, if you will. And he's just standing there prone with all these giant spears sticking out of him. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, thought, I thought the... Yeah. Stab um, Malcolm. Yeah, but... Yeah. Um, Doc, you know, what did you think about that? Because to me, that was a fantastic... You know, that the fact that they just shoved all these sticks at him and he's bleeding out because it's, he's doing it for the king country to assassinate Malcolm. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was one of those weird moments. It, 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 was a, it was a very weird moment, and you didn't know how that scene was going to go down. And then all of a sudden, uh, they kill this guy. And it was, you know, as you know, one thing that Gareth Evans does well in his direction is he knows how to shoot violence. And like oh, yeah. Physical, close, physical close contact contact violence that doesn't re- doesn't uh, require or rely on quick editing and fast cuts where you really can't see what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. He shows you what's going on. And they, yeah. they, they, they layered that dude with sticks and 
it was horrifying, <laughs> but it looked awesome. You know, it looked awesome. Yeah, it, it sounded awesome. It was a really cool fucking scene. And uh, I don't know, uh, Monkey, you had felt you had uh, said that you felt that this movie felt like it was two distinct halves. Uh, is it this scene where you feel like the halfway point happened? Oh no, 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 no. The, the half the halfway point is literally at the one hour mark. It yeah. is literally, literally at the one hour one mark. One hour and ten minutes. Yeah. Which would be oh. which is sixty okay, minutes. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, Doc. It, like you know, we write out all of what's getting ready to happen for like another hour before we even get to what I consider the the distinct second half of the movie. But yeah, the, still, the I, weird, I, yeah. but still, I agree with you. The shot was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> it was. Um, uh, and, and Ghoul, too. The one thing I liked about it is the fact that Thomas and the, the, the scuffle, you know, gets stabbed by the assassin. So now Malcolm is like, all right, he's on my side. <clears throat> you know, he, he's loyal to me. Um, the, and that blood pact that, they, you know, he made. Where it's yeah, like, you let out blood for me, and I'm going to cut my hand with the same blade that tried to kill me and just grabs his hand and makes that blood pact. I love that. Like, you know, it's the fact that Malcolm doesn't know who he is, but he's still making this blood pact with him. That you're my yeah. brother, and anything that you need, you can have it, because you saved me. Yeah, and anything that and, happens to you happens to me. Yep, and go ahead. Unfortunate, unfortunately, though, like, that's the thing. What that gives you is, is that gives you just a snippet of the type of mm. person that Malcolm is. It gives you just yeah. a snippet of why people would follow him. Um, oh, yeah. But that's yeah. all it, it's all it gives you. And unfortunately, mm. you know, that never also turns into anything else. You know, you exactly. never really yeah. see that become anything else in the movie. No. Uh, unless you want to yep. consider the very end of the film as being that little bit. But that's also kind of subject to conjecture, you know? Yeah. There's actually a scene yeah. later on where I oh. thought that was going to play out, but but it doesn't, and we will get to that later. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, that I felt like it was going to play out at some point in the movie. The fact that Malcolm made this blood pact where he cut his hand with that same blade that tried to, you know, assassinate him. I was like, well, maybe he's, he's earned his spot with Malcolm, but it never really kind of plays out. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it happened, but he had no real place with Malcolm and Quinn and Frank, you know, in the upper echelon of, of the, the cult. And I was disappointed right. by that, but it was still a, a cool effect. Now, while all this is going on, is have we gotten to the point now where Thomas has started to see the goddess floating around free range yet? Yeah. No, he, yeah, he well, the first seen. time he sees her is during the sermon, so. Mm-hmm. And that's when Malcolm kind of sees her, too. You know, and Malcolm's like, oh, what the fuck's going on? Like, you know, he obviously sees what I could see is that the goddess is kind of walking around the island, but he makes no mention of it. You know, the fact that. Thomas could kind of see it. You know, he kind of lets it go by the wayside. Um, you know, and that's a good point that you bring up, Monkey, is that he has that, um, uh, you know, Thomas has that one moment where he's going into that underwater cave where it's incredibly claustrophobic, where he's underneath the water and he's climbing through it. And all of a sudden, the goddess pops up and it's just this really kind of rank old woman smiling at him with these different colored eyes and. He's on his back trying to climb out of this water, and she's standing up and going after him. 
It was one of those okay. weird Evil Dead type of moments where I'm like, I like it. <laughs> I want to pass. Cause it's an okay. Evil Dead kind of thing where a deadite's chasing you yeah. through this water. Yeah, first of all, I didn't take that as just underwater river. That was the fucking sewer for the town. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, that was the sewer for the town. You had chunks of carrots and shit like that floating in it that, you know, came out of someone's ass. And this dock is what I considered the marking point because this was at exactly the one-hour mark when the goddess raises yes. us out yep. of the, the shitty water. And now, gotcha. we've switched, exactly. and now we switch gears. And we've gone now from all of the character building that we set up in the town, and now we're going to start getting into the horror shit of the movie. And it's at this point, when the director shifts gears and goes, strap in, because shit's going to start getting really weird. Into the <laughs> Hellraiser the, portion like, of our movie. Like I, I was <laughs> yeah. curious as to what you were going to say about that, because uh, when watching this myself, I did not say ever, oh, uh, this should be you know, two separate halves or something like that. But I felt that this movie, uh, and it did, but I felt that this movie turned the serious corner uh, when Quinn uh, entered his house, discovered his daughter was pregnant, and killed her. I feel that that is when this movie uh, went went completely off the rails. Well, yeah, and I wanted to get there um, in in just a little bit. Uh, I wanted to, to go to the ghoul. And talk about that sequence where Thomas first sees the goddess chasing him out of the cave. And then, nah, and then nah, Malcolm nah, nah. goes to the goddess, who is in this kind of weird poison ivy, Batman-esque enclosure. And laying <laughs> in thing. And he feeds her the blood so it can make the plants bloom. And he's telling her, you shouldn't expose yourself to Thomas. Like, you shouldn't have shown yourself. So what did you think about the goddess? Like now that it's actually here, there actually is someone on this island that's making the plants and the crops flourish. Well, again, I mean, everything has been hinted at at this point, you know, I mean, what we kind of gloss over there too is, is all of this occurred because Thomas got found out. Um, yeah. And they're yep. chasing him. Um, yeah. At this point, which is, is what led him to go down into this secret tunnel, which is in Malcolm's uh, house. And uh, right. during this period, during this time, and actually I'm sure this is where the monkey was talking about, where he thought it would play out. Uh, when mm. Malcolm is standing there at the entryway with the gun, um, what I assumed was going to happen was, you know, he was going to remember that he made this blood pack with this guy. And right. maybe try to reason with him or something to that effect. Um, but obviously that doesn't play out that way. Instead, he shoots at his other guy. I mean, this is where it takes its turn, you know? And you knew at some point this movie had to make its decision. It had to make a decision on whether or not we were dealing with something that was simply a human threat and a little bit of mm-hmm. insanity, or was this going full-on supernatural? And it yeah. kinda, it goes full-on supernatural. You know, and that was, you know, it was it was pleasant at times. Once the movie gets moving at this point, it doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, I uh, yeah, uh, I was happy for that because it was slow building up to this point. It was, and that and, that was yeah. the problem though was because we have all of that building. I'm trying to cram all of that in there. By the time we get to this point, to be honest, I'm watching this movie and I'm starting to feel pretty worn out and exhausted from watching it. And it's like <laughs> once things start to pick up, I'm like. Uh, this would be really cool, and I want to be really excited about it, but at the same time, I'm really fucking worn out from this. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I don't I mind the slow building. I just wish they had more time because, again, like the slow building is fine if it adds up to something, but ultimately mm-hmm. it really doesn't because the movie gets to this hour point and then it's like, hey, we're just going to go go for it. Let's yeah. Go. Yeah. And, and, and I want to go to the doc on this one because I like uh, what's coming up and is that you have Fionn telling Jeremy I'm pregnant. And you have Jeremy really happy about it. Like, he's like, yeah, it's great. Like, you know, we're pregnant, and you're going to be my wife, and I'm so happy. And And we're going to get away from all of this. Yeah, we can get away. We can escape, and we can do what we want. Like, it's not like he's like, oh, you're pregnant? Fuck that. Like, and runs away. Like, he's honestly in love with this girl and wants to see it play out. But then you have Fionn's father, Quentin, bursting into the room and going, yeah, what the fuck? Like, you know, you're pregnant, you got his seed in you. Like, I loved how it played out because they didn't show you uh, Fionn's death, but you get to see that he killed her. So I wanted to get from the doc what you felt about that. Like, did Quinn was justified in telling his own daughter? That scene was just super intense because you go from, like, their, you know, their their cautious happiness to, to, to complete and total despair. And uh, the actor, and I'm not sure which of the actual actors it was that was playing uh, Quinn in that scene, you know, but his performance in there was so intense uh, and so just filled with rage. And that that manifests itself when Jeremy comes back in and they show the results of what took place in there. uh, Right. Which were like, like, he fucked his daughter up hard. Um, she was like a ripped up bloody mess laying on the floor and there was blood everywhere. Mm. But you also hear it from the kid where he says he ripped the baby out of her. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He definitely fucked her up. And the fact that Jeremy put up a good fight against Quinn. Like, you wouldn't think that that kid could have put up a good fight, but he did. You know? I'm not a parent. It's funny, too, because considering that... You know, this whole thing it, it comes down to, you know, one man's loss of faith um, right. in particular, obviously our lead character. But what we also know is that, you know, all of these other characters, you know, we don't know where their faith is based, but we do know that they've been confronted with and have been taking advantage of a living deity. Um, yeah, yep. You know, for for years, people always want proof, you know, of the existence of God. Here they are yeah, on an too. island with an actual, you know, being uh, yeah. of some kind of divinity. Yet, this man in this moment still falls back onto his Christian or Catholic belief structure mm-hmm. of his daughter being a whore for betting yeah. with this kid who he found to be also simple. Uh, I know they, they drop a line. He says something about, like, I don't think so bright or some shit. I don't know. He didn't play off like yeah. he was very simple. He just seemed like a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like, uh, for for him to go into that, like, right off the bat, you know, oh, you're a harlot, you're this, you're that, you know, uh, all these fundamentalist beliefs, it just also goes to show, though, that even when confronted with divinity, 
you're still holding on to whatever it is that you know you, you originally had faith with. Mm-hmm. And and to yeah. go off of that, Ghoul, um, the one thing I did like, I thought it was a little bit too little, too late, but I still like the fact that they put it in there was Thomas revealing to Malcolm's daughter Andrea about how he got tortured during the Boxer Rebellion because he tried to bring Christianity to China and mm-hmm. how he was tortured for his beliefs. And I love that set piece of him being dragged in the middle of this field where they're burning it. Mm-hmm. And you have the gigantic crucifix being burned. They have the huge, you know, iron of the cross that they're going to brand him on his back with. And he's begging to God, please stop this. Please make them see this. Please make them believe. And God never comes. And he gets branded because of it. And you could see why he would lose his faith in that moment. You know, I believed in God all my life, and he's not coming for me in my time of need. So that was the one moment where I'm like, yeah, I'm with this character. You know, like, you know, I've believed so long for this. And in the time of need, it doesn't happen. No, yeah, um, it, was, it was definitely a strong moment, but yes, uh, it was late in the film. And, you know, again, it's just one of those where had you had time to really, you know, build a relationship with these people and with these characters and, you know, with with all of this, I think it would have delivered a much stronger impact overall. Yeah. Um, right. I just want to jump in real quick and rewind for a second and go back to the whole Quinn scene because, again, another big thing, like, that they gloss over super quick while they're talking about it, though, is the thing about, you know, being pregnant and he has to kill it and kill her and stuff like that is yeah. because he talks about, you know, the thing inside will kill you because we got to go back to the very beginning when they're trying to birth the sheep and the sheep are coming out twisted and trying to kill mm-hmm. the mothers from the inside, you know, and, and that's why they have the the law of you no know, sex on the island, you know, no having children, you know, no, no giving birth on the island or anything like that because it's right. because the, the island is rotten from the inside out and mm-hmm. anything born on that island will come Land out Land of sour here. Yeah, and <laughs> so... <laughs> And that's why, you know, he had, you know, went apeshit and whatnot was because he knew that the child would be just as fucked up as all the animals that they were trying to have give birth on the island as well. Yeah. And you also have the the juxtaposition of Malcolm and Frank talking, where Frank is saying, you know, Malcolm, it's over. Like, our crops are dying. The goddess isn't giving back to us. Like, you know, it's over. We need to just, you know, say, you know what, fuck it. <laughs> it's it's over. We need to just collect our losses and move on. And Malcolm still has the belief that the goddess could still give back to the island. Um, but to, I want to get into this doc with Jeremy putting up the fight against Quinn. Quinn comes running out of the house saying, he killed my daughter. Jeremy killed my daughter. We need to go after him. We need the purification process to begin. You know, did you think that that was one of the things where all the people are just going to accept Quinn now as the new leader over Malcolm? Well, in that first part when he came bounding out of the house screaming that, I didn't realize at that point that he was going to try and take over and be the new leader. I was curious about whether or not there was going to be such an immediate 
uh, rush to judgment without question, uh, especially with both of them screaming the opposite. Um, you know, and then they get into the purification process, and obviously then we do find out that he is trying to take over. Uh, you know, Malcolm is not the, the right leader. Uh, he's the right leader, uh, so on and so forth. But, I, you know, it was such a, you know, it was such a stark shift, uh, you know, when he all of a sudden was like, I, I am the leader. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. when, uh, you know, when, when they were running through that field and, and all of those guards finally caught Jeremy, uh, you know, and him screaming that he didn't do it. Like I was kind of, you know, one thing I did think was like, oh wow, they're just like, they're like they're not even questioning it at all. Like he did it. Like that's that. So not that I'm expecting yeah. there to be a trial in a court of law and and uh, you know, um, you know, trial by jury and, and and everything. But like I was struck by how just immediate they were to take Quinn at his word. But I guess this is part yeah, of the and, and the one thing for me, and I mean the they, movie they, they does that yeah. as a whole though too mm-hmm. to bring up kind of like what you had said. Sorry, King, I just uh, I just wanted to get no, that there for yeah, quick. Yeah, um, was the whole power struggle there? You know, in right. within fast succession, we find out that it was Quinn who came up with all these ideas. You know, Malcolm was going to be willing to feed her his own blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it was Quinn who came up with the fact that she needs human sacrifice. You know, it was Quinn that is the one that realized the power that's on the island. It's this, it's that. And that just really, again, it just came so out of nowhere. And it was like they they had these ideas. They had some fantastic thoughts that they they wanted to do with this. And then they were told, like, hey, listen, you've got to do this within two hours. And they said, okay, well, we're going to cut out this, 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 and this, which would explain that. And now, yeah, there you go. We've got it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and to to what I was going to say, was that you have Jeremy being led to the purification board. So you have uh, everybody uh, in the village being led there, and you have the weird, uh, you know, black-cloaked uh, KKK oh. members there for some reason. I know that's a thing. I don't know what it is, but they were there. Um, that was the style was, back then. You have, they were on holiday. You have the moment of the purification where they have the drill going into the top of his head, and I'm like, okay, holy fuck. Like, this is going to be bloody. This is going to be awesome. But they don't pay off. Motherfucker. Like they, they, they put the drill into his head, and you're like, oh, they're going to go all the way. But then the camera pans away to a different shot. And the next shot that you have is his top of his head completely eviscerated. And Quinn basically putting the, the, the flower petal into his head saying he's been purified. Yeah, uh, so did you actually get cheated? Because sure, I felt they, like they definitely could have had an extra gore element to it that they missed out on. Yeah, I look that that that's a that device that they were using. Like, I hear you loud and clear. Like, I like I love gore uh, as much as you can love gore. Like, I want to see everything uh, with that device right. they were using. Uh, that I I, I don't want to say that it's a a tricky one to pull off, uh, but I feel like it would have been challenging for them to do that right and have it fit in. Uh, visually with everything else in the movie. I do feel that that kind of, uh, that labored cranking of the of, of it was effective right. and the screaming and the noise and everything. I mean, I would have loved to have seen it. Sound. I feel that it, yeah, 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 all of those things. Uh, sure, it would have been great to see it, but they did give you a nice kind of long lingering camera shot of, of the post, uh, which was pretty cool also. 
Yeah. Um, because I felt like they kind of had another payoff to that, you know, where you don't get to see Jeremy's head get completely eviscerated, but they have another shot of Thomas going to where the grinder character is, which we haven't really talked about. The weird Hellraiser type character with the weird vines growing all over his oh. head as a mask. Oh, I like him so much. And he was he human? People. Was he right. a creature? Talk. I mean, we never really no. know. No, he just groans a lot. But they have the great grinder effect where he's putting the Hellraiser hooks into Thomas and putting one on the grinder. And you have Thomas, you know, trying to stop it, but getting his fingers all mangled up. And I'm like, okay, there's a payoff. <laughs> you know, we didn't get to see it with Jeremy, but we get to see it in his grinder with Thomas getting his fingers fucked up because he wants to stop the grinder from happening. Um, and it was a great gore effect. Like I said, the third act of this movie, so many great gore effects, and it's, go- you know, it's going on right now. Mm. You know, it, it's and, playing off. You know, it's giving you that payout. And the grinder, I really liked uh, just because it was like kind of like that whole Boba Fett kind of thing where it's like you have this badass <laughs> who doesn't really talk. Um, right. I, I, I loved his character design of the way he looked. It was simple, yet, ho- yeah, simple yeah. yet horrifying at the same time of just the actual character design, you know, and, you know, that particular character delivered for that scene, 100% in my opinion. I, I had a lot of fun with that scene. It was really a, a great set piece, and the fact that Thomas got the upper hand and managed to kill the grinder <laughs> on the grinder no itself. No pun intended. <laughs> right, exactly, you know. <laughs> but um, what I did like the most is the fact that the goddess doesn't want to be a goddess anymore. Um, because you saw the grinder force-feeding her blood in the one sequence, putting that funnel yeah, she... in her mouth and giving her blood, and she doesn't want it. So it's one of those things it... where it's like, I'm done. Like, I, I've had enough. And Thomas, you know what to do. Kill me and free me from this, what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life. I like that. Like, I was like, all right, you know, you got me now. The fact that this goddess is out, like, just kill me. You know, just set fire to me, and we'll be done. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, so. the other he, thing he, that we also are led to wonder is, you know, when we see the flashback of when they arrived mm-hmm. on the island, um, right. you know, she's obviously there, and she's cloaked, yeah. and she's, you know, huddled under her cloak, and she looks, you know, fairly like a, a, a normal old woman. You know, except she does have yep. the you know the the little bit of the the glowing eyes going on. You know, did the mm-hmm. island create her, or you I know, think is so, she, yeah. You know, or was she created prior, and is she truly a goddess? I don't think we ever really get that answer, especially we the way the movie ends. Right. Um, yeah, we don't, and that's what we talked about at the beginning. I think this would have worked out better as a series rather than one movie. Um, but the one thing I wanted to talk about as we close out, uh, Apostle, is you have Quinn with Thomas' sister Jennifer and, his, and, uh, Tom, and Malcolm's daughter, and he's talking about faith. And I like the way that he talked about faith, where he talks about Malcolm basically just willing it to the goddess, you know, and he just was just drunk on faith. And if I give enough blood... She'll give back, but there is no such thing as faith. 
And that's what got me because, you know, it, it's the same thing with Christianity and same thing with any other religion that you believe in. It's how much faith can you give before it starts giving back. And that's what I like most about Quinn because Quinn, I felt like it was the most honest. Where he's like, yeah, I know what we have to do. We have to fucking start killing everybody. We have to start giving back. And Malcolm is well, no, well, I think, I think part of that though has more to do with the amount of people. When you started mm-hmm. having people coming there to live, right. if it would have just been the three of them, they right. would have never needed more supplies. They would have never mm. needed for more. You know, they could have simply lived there and probably would have had quite a, a decent life. But the fact that they yeah. wanted to be something more, they wanted to have a flock, they wanted to bring this goddess to other people, you know, that that's where the problem started to become an issue because mm. now you need more supplies. Now you need more food. Now feeding her, you know, the, the livestock, a rabbit, isn't going to be enough because now you're not feeding right. three. Mm. You know, you're looking to produce for 300 or however many people they have there. Mm. As, as always with humans, they use up all of their natural resources. Right, which, you know, which is a good point. You know, the fact that they've used up all the resources, and that's why Frank wants to leave. Like, Frank sees that this is failing. Like, there's just nothing left. Everything is gone. You know, it's, it's done. We did our job, but it's not happening anymore. We need to leave. And Malcolm still has faith. And that's what it all leads back to in this movie. It's about faith and what you put your faith into. And that's what I liked about the ending of this movie is that that's what it all ends up at is faith. Um, and then it leads to Quinn having the fight with Thomas, where Thomas and, <laughs> and Quinn had that fight. I thought it was so great, though. The fact that Thomas has been stabbed numerous times, but the fact that Jennifer and Malcolm's daughter, Andrea, helps him so he could bury that knife into Quinn's chest. And well, just they, drag they, it all the way down. Yeah. Well, you know, well, Quinn is finally killed this guy. He's he's in fucked up territory at this point because now he's talking about he's <laughs> yeah. gonna be raping these chicks, impregnating yeah. them so that he can yeah. feed the fucking babies to the goddess. Yep. <laughs> he, he's gone off the fucking deep end at this point, man. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's trying to so move into like doc. a zombie type position. Yeah, I was gonna well, ask you that. What did you think about Quinn's final demise? Because I love it. The fact that, you know, you have Jennifer and Andrea helping, you know, uh, Thomas. You well, know, they pull a wrapping their chain around his neck and, you know, killing him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, it was based on... Yeah, it's very satisfying, and especially based on his his behaviors over the last 20 minutes, you were like, oh, he needs to get it good. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he yeah. such a hard turn that just kept getting more relentless uh, and, and more brutal and, and deceiving and sneaky and ugly and violent uh, that, that it was well it was well earned when it came around. Yeah, and offering more blood, you know, to, to the island. I just thought it was a great way to end that character because he was still kicking, you know, after Thomas stabbed him. It's like, no, you know, we got him. You know, we're going to get this chain around his neck, and we're just going to start pulling, and you just drag that blade down his chest. And it was a great effect. 
you know, and he got what was coming to him. Like he was a, a naturally mm. character, but it was a great end to mm. that character. Mm. Meanwhile, the entire village is going up. Not just the entire village. The entire island is blowing up all over the fucking place. Everything's catching on fire. You know, yep. so everyone's yep. running like everyone's rats. To the sh- yeah, everyone's running like rats, trying to get into the ships, get into the water, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, it's, it's over, you know, and, and, you know, even Malcolm, to a certain point, knows that it's over. Um, you know, and everybody's leaving, and Thomas offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice for Jennifer, his sister, to Malcolm's daughter, Andrea, telling them to leave. You know, like, I, I'm dying. Like, there's nothing that I can do to save myself, so go. You know, get off this island, get back to civilization. So it was kind of like he was, again, having restored faith. You know, of, of, you know if I could sacrifice myself for you, you know, that's fine. Um, so it was a weird moment where you have Thomas on this island now becoming the new living God. So I wanted to get that from you. Did you think that was a good way for Thomas's character to kind of go out, starting out as a guy that watches his fate to now becoming the new god of this island with Malcolm? Doc, this was your movie. What did you think? I mean, this is where it was like, oh, shit, like this has just gotten so bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe uh, the full circle of coming from where – he lost his faith to now he's being a god. Sure, I just I wasn't expecting that. Um, I wasn't expecting right. that it was his blood, and now he is going to be the new god of the island that's going to bring it, uh, you know, its uh, its abundance and good fortune in crops. Uh, it just it just kind of I was most I think I was mostly surprised by it, and I feel like starting from when Quinn murdered his daughter was just kind of surprised and more surprised and kept being surprised all the way to the end. Hmm. So, well, what did you think about uh, you know Malcolm, you know, and and accepting Thomas as the the new god? So not only is Thomas becoming the new god of the island, but it's also restoring Malcolm's faith in a way. So it kind of goes you know tenfold. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, it brings it back around, I guess, to the fact that you know we saw Malcolm give of himself when Thomas got hurt at the earlier point. Um, So now I guess his penance or his payback for that will be to, to worship him. But like I said, I mean, unfortunately now it comes down to, you know, is it the Island? Is it divinity? You know, what is now granting Thomas powers uh, of a God? Well, did you think that it was a weird kind of mind meld that the goddess had with Thomas at that one point before he set her on fire that kind of granted him the the god status that he has now? I mean, I guess it's a possibility. I mean, it could it could be read many ways, you know. Is it is it his faith finally being answered? Right. You know, is this God's mm-hmm. reward for what he went through in, you know, in Asia? Uh, any one of these things could easily be the answer. Um, yeah, and that's the one thing I wanted to ask you guys as we finish this out is because Thomas, as he's dying and the, 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 the plants and the weed and the uh, vegetation are taking over, he seems to be kind of happy. 
like with his weed. Like you know, it, it, I'm uh, not going anywhere. Like you know, uh, I'm taking over. I don't know. I took it more of a look of shock on his face. I also took it okay. as like it was it was the vines from the temple that were taking him, eating him. Oh wait, wrong movie. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> <That was what. laughs> no, but I, I, you know, I took it as more of a look of shock because then while it's happening, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but it looked like, you know, Malcolm had a little bit of a smile on his face as he was watching yes. this thing happen. Yeah. Mhm. Because it restored his face, I think. You know that you know I, I'm justified in staying here because now I have another god. You know, I have, uh, yeah. you know... Uh, I think it's yeah. also that, you know, hey, I'm going to survive because, you know what, the place <laughs> yeah. might be burning down, but obviously, you know, it's going to be reborn as well. You know, the old mm-hmm. Phoenix story. Yeah, mm-hmm. being reborn. I completely agree. So, yeah, um, you know, like I said, you know, it's a slow burn of a movie, but I think it has its good points. And I think in the mm-hmm. third act, if you're a gore hound... I think you're going to love this fucking movie because Gareth Evans knows gore and he knows action set pieces. There was that one point where Thomas kicks open the door, you know, uh, the gate rather, as he's escaping. I'm like, yep, that's Gareth Evans. You know, just fucking doing like karate fucking moves to these people yeah. that are trying to, yeah. to kill him. You know, great I, set piece. I think this movie just would have been better, like, if they hadn't tried to compact so much story into yeah. this movie. It's like they they really had more story than they could actually tell and you know, unfortunately they just it seemed like they just couldn't choose which storylines they wanted to go with. If they if they had thinned out some and made this flow a little bit better, I think we would have had a really, really solid movie here. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um and that's what I said. I, I don't want to say I didn't like Apostle because I did. Um, it's just it's it's one of those movies where you kind of have to just accept that it's going to take its time. You know, it's going to take its time to tell the story. But once it kicks into that, you know, second to third act, you're really going to have fun. And that's where I had fun with this movie. So if you can get past that first hour, I think you're really going to enjoy Apostle because that's where I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with this movie uh, mm-hmm. when it got going. I think that uh yeah. you know I've I've developed somewhat of an appreciation for these excuse me elevated slow burns as you can tell from my uh stuff elevated I can't stand it yeah, I, I hate it. I hate that. That's why I love saying yeah. it because I know how much it annoys everybody. Um, <laughs> you know what? This type of movie we've seen it before. It's Wicker Man. It's all of that. It's updated. The cast is solid. The setting is beautiful. It's got story yeah. holes, but you know what? There's a lot of movies that do have story holes, and you know I. I Find them just fine. Uh, am I going to go mm. back and watch Apostle again? I might watch it one more time, knowing now how it ends, to see if there are any other clues as to how it led to that point. Right. But, you know, that I don't know if it's got much else reviewability beyond that. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So uh, next week is my pick. Um, I wanted to do something a little different, but in line. Because November 18th, which is coming up on Sunday, is the 40th anniversary of the Jonestown Massacre, led by Jim Jones of People's Temple. So I kind of wanted to do something a little different, you know, that kind of coincides with that. So I decided to pick the sacrament 
directed by Ty West from 2013, which is a take on People's Temple and the massacre that happened, because I have a lot to say about that. Um, but I have a movie to go with it, which uh, I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys like it. Um, it's only an hour and 39 minutes, so it's a quick movie. Um, but it's one of those movies I wanted to talk about because I wanted to talk about the Jonestown Massacre in some way, shape, or form uh, on the show. And the the movies that were made didn't really kind of gel with the show because there are a lot of slow burn movies, especially the one with Powers Booth, which I love, but it's a little slow. So I thought The Sacrament was a good way to go because it's Ty West's take on the Jonestown Massacre. So, you know, we're going to go into it next week. Okay. So, only got a couple. We only have a couple minutes left. Um, so I'm just gonna here and I'm just gonna jump in real quick and be like, "Go ahead, Monkey." Yep. And just a for all of you listening tonight, and all of you listening in Radio Land on the internet and all of that. This is the Mad Monkeys. <laughs> Thank all of you for listening. Hope you had as much of a fun time listening as we did talking about this. And thank you for listening to Talking Terror. And we will come in your ear next week. All right. I'm out. Get ready for Eden's Parish next week. Um, And once again, Doc, thank you so much for coming back. And I hope you join us next week for the sacrament. I plan to be there. Excellent. So once again, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for the pick of Apostle tonight. And we'll see you next time. Uh, I just want to... Does Ghoul have something to maybe say? Maybe <laughs> no, a I just wanted to add in there that uh, this Friday, uh, me and the Doc will be doing our uh, Sylvester Stallone, the first part of the Sly Stallone series that we're going to do. It's a two-part thing that's going to span over, you know, basically the the course of a year. So you're not going to get part two until next year sometime. (laughs) Um, But this particular episode on Friday during our normal time, 9 to 11 Eastern, uh, 6 to 8 Pacific, um, we are going to be discussing the Rocky series. Excellent. All right. Get at it, boys. Enjoy. Have fun. All right. Talk to everybody. Special episode coming at you. All right, have fun with it. All right, so Ghoul, why don't you hit us with a plug as we close out this episode? Hey, Christmas is around the corner, motherfuckers, so get out there. Go buy your fucking significant others, your family members, your Fuck mom, him. your dad, your fucking aunts, your cousins. I, your fucking leaders. neighbor, I don't care who it is. Just go to Bonfire Bead Designs on Etsy, man. All one word. Bonfire Bead Designs. Her jewelry has been fucking flying lately, which is fantastic. So the people that are listening have obviously been going there. Um continue to do so you know i'm sure you have other family members that that want this kind of stuff there's gemstones there's rings everybody wants some you know get get a piece of it dude you know i get a piece of it but i get a different piece than than all you guys get you just get a piece of her her love and craftsmanship i get a piece of that ass um besides that though again bonfire bee designs on etsy all one word excellent all right close bye motherfuckers (laughs) <laughs> Stay scared yeah, cool. <laughs> There you go Stay scared Sorry <laughs> Stay scared people Alright and for me Keep America strong Watch horror movies 
keep strong, true believers. Stanley might be gone, but his legacy will always be here for us. In comic book form, movie form, he's always going to be there for us. So until next we meet, have a great weekend. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. It's the sacrament time. Let's do something. Bye. Mm. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.